This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. Almighty Father, giver of good gifts, fill us afresh with your grace and love that we may live lives worthy of your calling. Clothe us with your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Nature abhors a vacuum. This idiom is attributed to the Greek philosopher Aristotle, and it's used to describe the idea that every space in nature needs to be filled with something. Gardeners know this. If you leave a plot of land open and unfilled, weeds or other plants will creep in and fill the void. Human nature also abhors a vacuum. Think of what happens when there is a real or a perceived lack of information. What a strong pull there is for people to make stuff up. Stories and myths creep in. Anything to fill the information void. As we turn to our passage in Ephesians this morning, we'll see that Paul leaves no room for such a vacuum. When he calls the church to get rid of their old ways, he immediately follows up with a challenge to put on something new, a new life in Christ. He offers grace-filled alternatives, not legalism. As Father Jonathan pointed out last week, grace is unearned, undeserved, and unmerited favor. It's the antithesis to legalism that says, do better, try harder. As Christians begin to reorder their lives in response to God's call, the natural pull to self, self self-improvement, self-actualization, self-reliance is real, but it is not helpful. We need grace. Father Jonathan also unpacked for us the meaning of the word worthy. Worthy comes from a root word for scales. Paul uses these scales to measure a life lived in balance, a life worthy of the calling, a life lived in balance with God's calling on one hand and our response to God's call on the other. Call and response, two sides of the scale. Not comparison with others, not comparison with human potential, rather When God's calling and our lives are in balance, then we're on our way to living a life worthy of the calling that we have received. For the Ephesians church, this means living differently than how they had once lived. I want to focus in on verse 22 to 24 in this morning's reading. Paul reminds them who they were and who they are in Jesus who they're becoming. He writes, You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, 
corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The measure of a new life in Jesus is the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is a high calling, a calling that is absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit's empowerment in order to live into it. As we consider this week's passage, Paul gets really practical and super specific. He moves the listeners from theory to practice, from ideas to application, from right thinking, orthodoxy, to right behaving, right action, orthopraxy. I want to narrow even further this morning's reading to verses 25 to the end of the reading. In these brief 10 verses, Paul shows what God's grace looks like when applied to concrete, real-life applications. In In these verses, he offers six illustrations of what it means to put off the old nature and put on Christ. What each of these situations have in common is that they concern relationship. Becoming holy as God is holy doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in community. It happens when we interact with others. I mean, just think of it. When you're on your own, you're driving in your car, don't you have lofty ideas of how well you can behave? And then you drive into a parking lot and there's no spot. It's community that our real life is lived out and proved. In each instance, Paul is balancing a negative prohibition with a positive command. Stop doing this. Instead, do that. Paul knows that it's not enough to merely stop corrosive behavior. To do so would leave a vacuum, and as we know, nature abhors a vacuum. Instead, Paul shows that old conduct must be replaced with new and wholesome conduct. He not only tells them what the alternative behavior is, but he also explains how these new behaviors benefit the community, benefit life together. Paul ties belief and behavior together. Continuing the metaphor of clothing, Paul basically lays out a new wardrobe. It's not enough that they take off the old way of living, but they must put on new clothing to reflect a new lifestyle, a lifestyle that's grace-filled, holy, and loving, a lifestyle that is worthy of the calling. So what does it look like to be clothed in Christ? First, it means being authentic, being true. In verse 25, Paul writes, Put away falsehood. Let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors. Scholars agree that Paul was referring to an Old Testament quote from Zechariah. It reads like this. These are the things you must do. Speak the truth to one another. In other words, stop lying. This echoes Paul's challenge to speak the truth in love. 
Why is speaking the truth in love so important? Why is Paul so keen for them to pull away, put away falsehood? Because lying breaches trust, and broken trust is utterly corrosive. It destroys community. Lies hurt. They hurt the one telling them. They hurt the ones hearing and believing them. Lying erodes trust and destroys peace. So Paul says, stop lying and put on honesty. When we live in the security of God's love, there's no need to fear, to manipulate, or to make stuff up to try to make yourself look good. When we live in the security of God's grace, we know that God already loves us and that he already knows that we are imperfect. He knows that we are all flawed and all deeply loved. God's grace and love enables us to live authentically, putting away all falsehood. Second, control your anger. Scholars note that Paul's phrase, be angry but do not sin, is a quote from Psalm 4. Anger is permitted, but it's also restricted. Some of us may have grown up in homes where anger was not well controlled, which can feel really scary. Some of us who grew up in the church may have been taught that any type of anger is sinful, so you better hide it. Scripture, however, teaches us that there are two types of anger, righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Paul is addressing righteous anger, the kind of anger that arises from the miscarriage of justice. He's not addressing emotional flare-ups. In his commentary on this passage, John Stott brings clarity to the kind of anger that's appropriate for Christian community. He writes, quote, We human beings compromise with sin in a way which God never does. In the face of blatant evil, we should be indignant, not tolerant, angry, not apathetic, if God hates sin, his people should hate sin too. If evil arouses his anger, it should arouse ours also. What other reaction can wickedness be expected to provoke in those who love God? End quote. We are right to be angry when we learn about abuse. We are right to be angry when we see injustice. What we do with this type of righteous anger is key. When used to motivate us to action that's based in love, it doesn't divide a community. In fact, it unites it around God's holy purposes. On the other hand, when anger is nursed, even righteous anger can be turned into a passion for revenge. When anger is out of control, it gives the devil room to further inflame revenge and provoke evil thoughts about how to settle a score or take justice into one's own hands. Uncontrolled anger can lead to hatred and violence. That's why Paul writes, 
Don't let the sun go down on your anger. He means don't indulge the passion of the emotion, but handle the anger with care. Christian indignation must be kept in check, lest it give the devil a loophole. The devil doesn't fight fair and will use even our good intentions and our passion for laudable social concerns to bring the church into disrepute because of mishandled anger. So be angry about injustices, but also be alert to the fine line between righteous and unrighteous anger. Righteous anger can propel us to positive action and advocacy. Unrighteous anger can lead us to a breach of godly fellowship and damage Christian community. The third characteristic of putting on a new life in Christ is to be generous. Be givers, not takers. Once again, Paul draws on the Old Testament with a reference to the Ten Commandments. Commandment number eight is, thou shalt not steal. It's not enough to just stop pilfering, though that's a start. The vacuum left by no longer stealing must be filled with something positive and something holy. The opposite of stealing is giving. So when thieves stop stealing or stop cheating their employers out of an honest day work or the government of its taxes due, something has to fill the void. Paul says, instead of ripping others off, work hard. Work hard not just for yourself, but so that you can help others. Do something useful so that you can give to the needy. Be a giver, not a taker. Fourth, encourage people with your words. Words are powerful. They can tear down or they can build up. Jesus taught us that our words reveal our hearts. He said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. In other words, our words reveal our hearts. I wonder if Paul were addressing a 21st century audience like us, might he have written, let no evil talk come out of your mouth or leap off of your keyboards? Outrage culture rewards and celebrates anger and evil talk. The more rotten, nasty, and vulgar the language, the more hits and likes ragers seem to get. Reinforcement and reward for such damaging behavior is the direct opposite to God's calling to build each other up in love. The metaphorical clothing of rotten speech must come off, and as new creations in Christ, the standard for conversation is love. What a contrast to how the world so often speaks. Instead of tearing others down, damaging and destroying others with our words, we're to build others up, speaking words that bring light and love, help and healing, hope and love. Clothed in the grace of God, may our words give grace to those who hear. I remember a time when my siblings and I would uh, speak to one another sarcastically. 
We thought that we were witty and clever when we were doing this. One day, my mom sat us down and said, this way of talking has got to stop. She told us that there was a connection between the Greek word for flesh, sarks, and the word sarcastic. Our sarcastic words were metaphorically tearing the flesh of our brothers and sisters. Rather than being witty, our words were biting and harmful. I've never forgotten that vivid image of tearing my brothers and sisters' flesh with my words. We stopped, not perfectly, but with encouragement and grace, our mom taught us to use our words to build up and not to tear down. What about you? Do your words encourage goodness in others? Do they bring blessing? Do they build up the hearer's character? Foul, degrading language, lying, stealing, and out-of-control anger grieves the Holy Spirit. It's really like a character assassination on God's Holy Spirit, because these behaviors don't respond don't represent or reflect the loving nature of God. They're at cross-purposes to the work of the Holy Spirit, who seeks to indwell the life of the believer with the life of Christ. By the grace of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, put these off. How? By repenting by expressing sorrow, and by turning from them, and by putting on the new life of Christ, and by using words of life and love to build others up. Fifth, we are called to forgive. Forgiveness is a grace given us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we withhold love, grace, and forgiveness which has been given us. As God has forgiven us, we're to forgive others. Forgiven people ought to forgive people. When we take off the old life of bitterness, anger, wrangling, slander, and malice, the new garments of God's new life must be put on. Instead of refusing to let go of a hurt, a slight, or wrong, instead of rehearsing and nursing a grudge, Instead of hardening our hearts, forgive and ask the Lord to fill you, to fill me, to fill us with his love. Being clothed in Christ enables us to be kind to one another, to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. The sixth and final illustration of what it means to be clothed in Christ is to be God-focused. Those who are acquainted with our Eucharistic liturgy will be familiar with these last two sentences. They're often said at the invitation to communion as an offertory sentence. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. When you hear the word imitation, do not think 
false, second-rate, or counterfeit copy. Rather think, best example ever. Be imitators of God in love and grace. In this little passage, Paul makes a series of comparisons. Just as children imitate their parents, so too we, the beloved, are to imitate God. Just as Christ loved us, we're to love one another. Just as Christ gave himself up, so we are to give ourselves sacrificially for the benefit of others. Loving well means seeing others as equally important. It means giving ourselves in the service to others for their benefit. This is what Jesus did as we pattern our lives after his life of self-giving, sacrificial love, we can likewise be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Of course, without the indwelling, transformational power of God's Holy Spirit, we haven't a chance of living into this new life. Thankfully, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And as we begin to put off the old nature and put on Christ, God's grace fills the vacuum, enabling us to live into the holiness and love to which we are called. Let us pray. Father, make us worthy of your calling. Clothe us, we pray, in your love. As we put on Christ, help us to be authentic, control our anger, be generous, encourage each other, forgive one another, and keep our eyes on you, our holy and loving God, through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Amen.